We're starting to see the final numbers for opioid overdoses and deaths in Niagara in 2021. More and more people were taken to hospital for suspected overdose, but the most shocking is the number of people who died. While we don't have the final count, it will be around 200 people, which is an average of 16 deaths per month. It's also 50 deaths more than in 2020, and in that year, we were second only behind Toronto. Jacob Borisenko, who was just 20 years old, died last June after taking anti-anxiety pills that he bought off the street, which turned out to be laced with fentanyl. Jake's dad, Steve Borisenko, is with me today to talk about his son's death and the advocacy work he's doing in the hopes that no one else will have to die. Hi, Steve. Thanks for coming on on the program today to talk about your son, Jacob. And I know it's a, it's a, a, a very um, emotional and difficult conversation, but it has also, there's some very inspirational um, work that you're doing that's coming out of that. But first, can you tell me what Jacob was like? Uh, thanks for having me. Um, Jake was incredibly smart. He was uh, incredibly stubborn. He um, would do anything for his friends and his family. Uh, but he had he had issues. He had severe anxiety and stress. Um, the last couple of years with him was incredibly difficult because it, as a father and as his mom, we're trying to figure out what to do with him and, and how to solve this problem and how to make him feel better. It's just that we weren't equipped. And then when we tried um, psychologists, it seemed to start working and he seemed a little bit better. And then COVID hit and the psychologist just yanked the rug out from underneath him and shut the door. And it was like, okay, <laughs> you, now what? And it just progressively got worse as soon as COVID hit. So when COVID first hit, it was two weeks to flatten the curve, right? Like everybody knows, two weeks to flatten the curve. They just shut the doors. From a from a 21-year-old who's self-medicating with weed and all sorts of pot and drugs already, that that really takes a toll when all of a sudden your psychologist goes, Yeah, get out. <laughs> we're we're done here. The province told me to shut my doors. So yeah. Well, I'm sure that was a a problem with a lot of um, and and young kids who maybe hadn't hadn't been using drugs before to self-medicate and what's been over the two years, what's been happening and self-medicating is very, very common. When do you think that it got to the point? Did this did the self-medicating start happening after COVID and after the situation with the psychologist, or is it something that you think in hindsight, he may have been doing earlier than that as he was going through high school, of course, which is an extremely stressful situation. He was, um, he started smoking pot in high school. Right. Uh, and it was recreational as far as I knew. Um, I always took the approach with Jake. I would rather know about it and have a little bit of control over what we can do then just bark at them and say no, because then I, w- I was that age. Then you end up smoking weed with your buddies under the bridge or you, and who knows what can happen at that point. So we always took the approach. I, I want to know, I want my relationship to be open enough with them that I can steer them in the right direction because you're talking about it started, I guess, when he was about 17 or 18, maybe younger. Uh, you'd have to ask his friends about that for sure, but I'm, probably younger, but you try and steer them, right? They're going to do certain things and you try and steer them through the 
the you try and navigate them through it. Um, it was bad after COVID. COVID. I'm not going to blame everything on COVID and and the lockdowns. I, I won't do that. But I will say, yeah, it got progressively worse after those lockdowns happened, and like noticeably progressively worse. Yeah. And the amount of the lateral damage that those lockdowns have done that even to this day, no one's speaking about, they just sort of sweep it under the rug and well, that never happened. But if you want to look at the overdose death rates just in the region, I mean, you want to talk about deaths in a pandemic. Okay, well, we are talk. going to talk about that actually um, yeah. in, in, in a few minutes uh, because those numbers are shocking. And I think that, you know, we, the new, the 2021 numbers are coming out. So, I'm not going to go into that now. What happened the night that Jacob died? So this was a self-medication. Uh, there's still some things that I need to figure out from it. Um, there's, I'm, I'm going to say this is a suspected fentanyl overdose. Uh, Marcus and Jacob, Marcus, uh, another boy who passed away that same night, um, saw each other the night before. And Jacob had bought some drugs for Marcus. Uh, Jacob left Marcus's house. He went to his mom's house, uh, saw her briefly, um, then went to his best friend Kate's house. In that time, somehow there, uh, he ingested these drugs. He got to Kate's house. He wasn't in great shape. But he was speaking and he took a shower and he was he was okay. And then he, he fell asleep because he was up the whole night before. I know this because I've spoken to his friends. Um, and then, yeah, at around 2 a.m., Kate decided to go to sleep. She fell asleep after, you know, being with him all evening. She fell asleep. And then she woke up at 6.30 and he had passed away. I can't even begin to imagine how that must have felt when you got that call the drug that he yeah. was taking was he was, as you said, he was not um, taking something that you would normally expect fentanyl or carfentanyl to be in. But I do know um, because it was Xanax, so it was part of that self-medicating for for anxiety and depression. And I think that people need to understand that fentanyl and carfentanyl is in the entire drug supply. I mean, pot, which we think of as a very benign drug. Um, you know, and it takes such a small amount, but but it is getting into the full um, drug supply. And, you know, people say, well, why would dealers, you know, contaminate their drugs like that? Because, well, there's always, you know, they lose their, I, I, I right? but there's always, there's always somebody else um, coming along. So Le- I, I would like to say this for anyone that's listening that has kids that are on the smoke pot or do whatever recreational drugs. I feel this is very important when someone asks that question. The reason for it is everyone who buys from them on a regular basis has a tolerance to fentanyl and carfentanyl. All it takes is one kid to take that drug, smoke that pot that has carfentanyl or fentanyl in it that has no tolerance. And that's that game over. That's why the drug dealers do it. They make it more potent for the regular buyers that are constantly buying and build a tolerance to these drugs. So coming out of this, that uh, let's just talk a little bit about some of those, uh, some of the numbers that uh, that we're looking at with this. The preliminary number for deaths in 2021 
in Niagara is 219, up from 151 in 2020. Now, I know sometimes the numbers, they might go up a little bit or they might go down a little bit, but mm. we're, we're looking at probably around 200. And that is a massive, massive increase in the number of deaths. And there's been a, a, a massive increase in the number of emergency responses and, oh. uh, and hospital, hospital um, admissions. Yeah. You have yeah, st uh, started, you were involved in, right after Jacob's death, you, uh, you started Jacob's Wall and you became very involved in, in organizations and in campaigns to get the information out there. Yeah. So what, what is happening with that? I think you've been, and Jacob, Jacob died last year in June. And yeah, yeah. Um, actually, just to backtrack one little bit. Okay. Jacob's, Jacob's um, overdose was accidental. You have had people say to you, there's no such thing as an accidental overdose. How does that feel to hear that from people? I haven't had them say it to me. I've seen it on replies from different uh, news channels I've been on or different things that have happened uh, in the media. And everybody can sit behind their keyboard and they can type out whatever they want. And I don't take it personally and I don't. But I have seen people with that thought that there is no such thing as an accidental overdose. It just, it, it I, I'd love them to, to make themselves uh, educated on this. I, I want them to come to my house and talk to me. <clears throat> I want them to look somebody square in the face and in the eyes while they're telling them that when this kind of tragedy happens to them. It's so easy to sit back and say these things and then just, you don't need to defend it because you're not actually saying it to anyone. You're just putting it out there and being ignorant. Jacob didn't commit suicide. This wasn't done on purpose. This was drugs that he had taken before that he took that were laced, suspected. Yeah. That is accidental, if you ask me. He didn't hang himself. He didn't shoot himself. There, this was not suicide. This was an accidental overdose. Mm -hmm. And for those people that say it wasn't, it happens all the time. And it, it angers me when I hear it. And I just want, this is partially the reason why I get so involved is because people need to, they need to understand that. They need to understand the process and they need to understand no one is safe. If you have kids or nephews or nieces or no one's safe here, guys. Any Anybody who thinks it's never going to happen to me. Yeah, I was in that line. It happens and it can happen. And we need to do something about it and stop looking at it's not my fault. No such thing. It's his fault. Don't blame the victim on this. So that's how I feel about, about it. It doesn't matter whether you are, as in Jacob's case, taking some medication to deal with anxiety and depression, and that happens where there might be there might have been something like fentanyl in that pill that he took. Nobody wakes up and says, you know what? I think I'll die today of an overdose. Why not? We, uh, no. It's it's just in the the bad supply, and so yeah. many so many people are dying that way. And you know what? It doesn't matter. We need to be compassionate for every Absolutely. single person, and we need to to reach out and help. 
So that takes us to where where you are in um, working with organizations and other groups to try and bring this awareness and hopefully um, some more financial support to help. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I it was man a week after Jake passed away. I reached out to Walter Senzik, the mayor of St. Catharines, and he jumped on a video call with me and Talia Storm, actually, who, and I love both of these people. Um, it was immediate and he jumped into action because he, he knew right away, we have a problem here. And Walter and his office and so Kaysen, Raft, the open network, um, I asked at an open network sort of year yearly meeting for a task force to be built in in the Niagara region because of our numbers and because of what's happening um and everybody jumped at it it was mm -hmm. it was done oh wow it, it's quick so <clears throat> Walter has supported it from day one has organized it has lined up the task force and the work groups and now we're um planning on doing we want to get the word out there on what services the Niagara region actually has, because my whole point was I was a parent. I was in this. I was standing in the hospital with my son who overdosed the first time. And I was like, where, where do I go? And there was some pamphlets that were like, oh, you can go look over there. Or you can. I didn't even know the day of the week. <laughs> I can right. barely say my name when my 21-year-old's sitting on a, at a table. Sorry, at the time, my 20-year-old's sitting at a table and he just overdosed. I, I'm not about to read through a pamphlet that's going to send me to a web page that's so confused. Like, as a parent and as a, as a younger person who's into this stuff, when you want help, it's there, but you got to dig. And you, yes. like, I get lost in it. So the whole point of this was, let's organize. Let's make this, let's get a, a pinpointed task force towards youth opioid addiction. And let's pinpoint it so that everybody knows where to go and how to get help. And that's what we're doing. And it's, um, it's great. It's a, I can't thank everybody enough. The, the work that they're doing is incredible. And wow, what a region, I, I have to say. And Walter has been, I cannot say anything about Walter Sanzik. The, the man has been an absolute support through the whole thing. There's sort of two streams that, um that we need to look at. And, and one of them is with the open network, which is the Opioid Prevention Network Niagara. And it's a table that health professionals sit at. It's a working group that health professionals sit at and the region and uh, I'm assuming the city, um, Niagara Falls, you know, it's, it's region wide. And, and that group gets together and talks about what kind of health systems can be put in place, what kind of partnerships could happen between these organizations. And then there's the side that, and I know you work with the Open Network as well, but then there's your side of the equation as a parent or uh, as, a, as a, a friend, where it then becomes a direct access to these um, services, uh, Network Niagara, which is, is a working group of health professionals, essentially. And it's not somebody that a person who is in your position, for example, a parent or a friend would directly reach out to that network but extremely important in bringing together the, the community organizations who are dealing, and, and the region as well is very involved in this, 
And then there's the side, and I think this is where it gets confusing for people. Where do you go and who do you call? Obviously, in the case of Jacob, it was a 911 call. You know, he had to get to hospital. And if, it, and if you are in a critical overdose situation, it is a 911 call. But a general place to go is the mental health and addiction access line in Niagara. And that's where you could go, for example, in your case as a parent, to find out what's, what organization, what service organization, what health organization is the best place for my son. And when you talked about the kids, I would be really remiss if I did not um, talk about past own mental health, and those are for kids up to the age of 18, and those are, you know, those younger kids in high school are the ones who really don't want to talk to their parents about what's going on. And they, you know, they really don't want to be calling 911. Um, and Pathstone offers absolutely amazing services. You're also building a website for Jacob called sure. Jacob's Wall. So it's Jacob. Yep. Dashwall.com, and you've your your um you, you've got sort of a concept for an app. Can you just tell me a little bit about that and um, what you're hoping to achieve as you build these the the website and the app? So the website uh, was started really quickly after Jacob passed away. Um, the idea was let's get donations, let's take those donations, put it into an app for an idea that, that I had about uh, when kids are, well, let's do the website first, then I'll get on the app. Um, the website donations <clears throat> are great and they're amazing. And we've had incredible reach outs and we have a bunch of money sitting in an account right now, but the app itself is gonna take about $110,000. So I did file some paperwork with the federal government who are offering up a $60 million grant to different, uh, agencies in Canada that do exactly this and everybody put in their application and now we just wait but since it's the federal government naturally it's 12 to 15 months so I have decided to um, I'm revamping the website and we're gonna we're gonna make it it is about Jacob and it is about the foundation I need it to be a little more uh, on the professional side because what we want to do is the money that we do have I don't I don't need it just to sit there. I want to do something good with it. And I know there's so many parents out there that are going through the exact same thing that I went through and they're lost. And maybe they don't have the money to send their son to a psychologist or a social worker or some sort of program. I want to make it so they can apply to the foundation and we'll pay for that with the donation money and hopefully keep going with more donations and we can get more kids into therapy. Therapy did help a tremendous amount. Therapy is something for Jake, it helped to a point. And then while well, COVID hit and it stopped helping, but it is important. It's a very important, I think, from what I saw, it's a very important tool that kids, they just need somewhere to go where someone will listen and they won't judge. And as parents, we do our best to, to be that person, but I'm sorry, I'm a father. I have a vested interest in what my son is doing and I'm gonna direct him and sometimes kids can take that direction as you don't care or you're not listening or I'm trying to tell you something in here. I just, I think it's really important for kids on this line, they get out there and they have somewhere a, a parent-free zone 
where they can talk and they can get some education. So if I can make that happen, I want to. That's a that's a really important thing for me to do. So we're doing that. Um, the app is an idea that I came up with. So there's always the, when I first started talking about the analogy I used is, there's always a weak kid in a group. When you're in a car and you're with three of your buddies, there's always one kid that doesn't really wanna be there, but he doesn't wanna be ostracized at school either. If you're that kid and you're sitting in the backseat of a car and you know your buddy that's driving is loaded, you're not about to pull out your phone and you're not about to call 911. You'll get, you'll get killed. So the app idea is that's just one scenario. There are many other things that the app's gonna do. The app idea is that kid can type in a different passcode to his phone and it will automatically send a signal with a GPS signal where he is, the direction he's going, the speed he's going to the emergency contacts within the app. They can look and see where he is and they can call 911. They can call the police. It can be their fault. As long as it's not his fault, it kind of takes the pressure off. Right. That's one scenario. The app is filled with things like that. Um, we wanted to, I'm not sure, when you initially get into something like this, you have all these great ideas and you go so hard at it. And then when you take a step back, you kind of look and go, well, maybe that's not a great idea. Maybe that's not a great idea. But we wanted to um, put on the app different zones where fentanyl was found in, in different drugs. So kids can stay away from there. Right. Um, when I took a second look at that, that it would have to be done very carefully. Um, and you would have to, you wouldn't have to pinpoint anything. That's for sure. But you need to be really careful about that because maybe that'll attract some kids because kids aren't the smartest creatures in the world. So I don't want to give them any information that they don't already have. I said this in a meeting the other day, we can't use old solutions for new problems. This is a new day. It's a new age. We have to use technology. We have to use the things available to us because quite frankly, uh, your kids are buying drugs on Snapchat. And if you don't know what Snapchat is, go take a look. The amount of parents I, I have spoken to that have no clue what Snapchat is, oh man, it's the dark web of, of con, uh, communication apps for your children. Go take a look and you will be shocked at what you find. When, it, when this first happened, I started doing everything towards Jake's foundation. It was go, 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 go for about four months. I just put the hammer down and ran. And then at about four and a half months, I crashed hard and I had to take a step back and I had to, I needed time for grieving. And even talking to you right now, it, it swells up in me, but uh, I had to take that step back. I still can't, the website, the website's taking so long because quite honestly, I can't look at pictures of Jake yet. I have a very, very hard time with it. So yeah, the delay is on me. And for anyone who donated, your, your money is there. It has not been used, but I just can't, I can't pull it all together because I lost my son and going through all those pictures and going through all those memories is, it's really, really hard. So it is coming. We are going to get it back up and running the way that it should. I just needed some time to grieve 
taken some time to, and I'm still going through it to tell you the truth. I don't so, think that will I'll ever end. Through. Obviously, that will that will never end. But you may get to the point where you are able to look at those pictures and and share those yeah. pictures. Steve, thanks yeah. so much for for coming on. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to through people like you, Steve, uh, get a handle and and some solutions. Thanks, Janice.